turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I hope you guys had a, had a good week. Hope you had a happy 4th of July on Monday and were able to celebrate. You know, about 10 o'clock Monday night, we figured out they had fireworks at Kyle. It was a bit late, so we didn't, we didn't make that. But, um, but we had a good time celebrating freedom, and I hope you did. You know, last Sunday we talked about the, the idea of celebrating freedom and, and the privilege of being an American and all those different things. And, and also we talked about uh, the awesome freedom that we can enjoy in the Lord Jesus. I hope you were here last week. If you were not, I want to encourage you to, uh, to go online and, uh, and check out uh, the website. You really need to, to hear the message on freedom, it kind of sets up what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. Now, you might be saying, well, preacher, I don't go online. Well, just call the office and we'll fix you up with a CD. Now, I don't think we can do a tape, but we can do a CD to get you uh, connected. But, but it's important that you understand the freedom that we have in Christ because the gospel has the power to set us free. And because the gospel has the power to set us free... It has the power to change your life. And, uh, you know, that, that, that gospel that can free us up can make us different. You know, the gospel, we all, we often talk about sharing the good news. And, uh, and I thank God the gospel is the good news. Did you know that the gospel is the only message that has the power to change you for forever? You know, you can get the newspaper and you can read some good news or perchance you can read some bad news. Chances are it's probably going to be bad. But you can get a lot of good news. But the only good news that has the power uh, to change us for eternity and the potential to change us for forever is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to talk a few minutes about the gospel this morning. But I want you to think about, you know, we talked about how the gospel can set you free. And, we, you know, uh, the, the question is, what is the gospel done in your life. How has the gospel changed you? What has the gospel, if you will, made of me? Kent Hughes wrote a series of commentaries called Preaching the Word. And in one of it, in his commentary on the book of Mark, which we're going to look at in just a little bit, he talked about, he shared this story years and years ago. Uh, Dr. E.V. Ryu, I think is how you pronounce it. He completed this translation of Homer from classical Greek into English. And so the publishers evidently were very impressed. And so they went to Dr. Ryu and said, we would like for you to translate the Gospels. The problem was Dr. Ryu was an agnostic. He was 60 years old, didn't believe in any God, just kind of, you know, he was, he was just agnostic. But after some deliberation, he decided, I'll translate the Gospels. And when he made that decision, his son made two observations, or he made two statements. His son says, first of all, he says, I wonder what my father will make of the Gospels. And then his second statement was this. He said, but more importantly, I wonder what the Gospels will make of my father. And in less than a year, this 60-year-old agnostic who believed nothing having immersed himself in the Gospels, was changed. Jesus became his Lord and he lived out the balance of his days as a committed Christian and committed to his faith 
in Jesus Christ. And that happens over and over and over. The gospel makes people different. And my question for you and me this morning is what has the gospel made of you? And what has the gospel made of me? What has it done, uh, not so much for us, but what has it done to us? Because last week we spoke on the, on the, the truth of, of the price that Jesus paid to set us free. And we talked about how Jesus became a ransom for many and how the gospel makes, makes people different. And, and so when, when you open your heart to Jesus Christ, man, man it, it should change you. If you're born again, you should be different. You, you just can't be the same. You cannot know Jesus and not be affected. Now, some of you here this morning, you don't even know Jesus Christ perhaps yet. You, you're not even sure about the Gospels. You don't even yet know what difference it can make in your life. But the Bible says that two specific things happen uh, or at least two specific things happen in our life when when we're uh, acquainted with Jesus and when we come to know him and when the gospel takes hold in our life. And so one of them is, is, is pretty awesome and one of them is pretty, well, they're both pretty awesome, but one of them is, one of them is pretty awesome because it happens to us and, and one of them is pretty challenging because it's something that, that, that takes a while. First of all, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the, the first thing the gospel does is the gospel makes you into a saint. Did you, did you know that, that when you give your life to Jesus, you go immediately, you go from being a sinner to a saint. And the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus, you become a saint. In fact, in, in Philippians chapter 1, it says Paul and Timothy, and this is interesting, it says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and, seers and deacons. And I find that kind of interesting because Paul starts the book of Philippians and he talks about all the saints, all the believers that are saints, and then he includes the preachers, which are overseers, and the deacons. And so he's saying that, that not only are all believe, not only is every believer a Christian, a saint, but he says even a preacher. Even the deacons become saints in Christ Jesus. And so what, that when, when you give your life to Jesus, listen, there's a spiritual transaction that takes place. We move from being a sinner to being a saint. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so what that means is that when God begins to look at you and when God begins to look at me, when Christ comes into our life, God doesn't see our sin he sees the perfection in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so what happens is when the gospel makes us, first of all, it makes us into a saint. So positionally, and this is kind of theological, but let me just kind of uh, put it out this way. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you become a saint in God's eyes automatically. 
And that is an awesome thought. God just doesn't see our sin anymore. But something else, when that spiritual transaction takes place, there's a second thing that begins to happen. And it doesn't happen at all at once. Not only do we become a saint, but the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you become a servant. We are a saint based on our position in Christ. But we are servants based on our practice in Christ. And so what happens is the minute Jesus comes into your life, he begins to change your heart. And when he changes your heart and my heart, it should begin to change our behavior. And we go from being a sinner to a saint. And then we go from being selfish to becoming a servant. That doesn't happen overnight, but it should be happening. We should become a servant. Now, I want to read, I want to read from Mark chapter 10, and I'm just going to read one verse because Jesus kind of gave us the example to follow. So let's look, Mark chapter 10. Let's just look at verse 45. Really, this is kind of the jumping off point from last week. Um, Mark 10 verse 45, Jesus simply said this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May we pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this principle, this truth about servanthood would become a reality in our life. And it would become a reality in our hearts. And so I pray this morning that you'd stir us up and that you'd help us to... Uh, to realize that you have saved us to serve. God, you have saved us to serve the Lord Jesus. And that's fleshed out in a number of ways. But the fact of the matter is we have to become servants when we become saved. Because that's what Jesus taught us to do. So God, I pray that you'd come and speak to us this morning and uh, work in our hearts. And we'll give you the glory and the honor for it all. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, again, I kind of want to go back to the last week because what we discovered last week is that when you give your life to Christ, because Jesus came as a ransom, remember, uh, to, to ransom means to offer a substitute. And so Jesus made a payment, uh, made the payment to set us free. He became the substitute for us. He became sin for us or in our place. And he frees us from condemnation, we learned last week. He frees us from sin. He frees us from fear, which we sang about a little bit ago. He frees us from emptiness and loneliness. And then we also discovered that he, that he frees us from guilt. And so he did all those things to make us holy. But he also, he also did it to make us servants. Now, now we love the part about being a saint, but, but, but oftentimes we, we don't get quite as excited sometimes about the part about being a servant. But think about this. If, if all God wanted for us was to, for us to sing and to worship and to pray once we get born again, he wouldn't leave us here. 
Witches get raptured or witches get snapped, but you'd get saved and you'd get stolen away. I mean, God just take you away. But God leaves us here, and the reason he lives, leaves us here is because he's got a purpose for our life, and that purpose is to become a servant. Now, uh, over in Matthew, in fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 10, very important uh, passage of Scripture, because of, God puts this expectation on us that's really, really interesting. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 24, listen to this statement. From, from the Lord Jesus. Now he's talking to his disciples and here's what he says. He says, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. Now here's the thing. God expects you and me to be just like Jesus. We don't need to be any more than Jesus. We shouldn't be any less than Jesus. And the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So back in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I mean, that's what it says. Now, we really need to, really, I think we need to get a hold of some context to kind of understand that. I want you to look up in verse 10 of Mark chapter 10, because I want you to just listen uh, Jesus makes this observation, and we probably could have read the whole passage. But, uh, but then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. They said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, imagine this, imagine this scene with me. We're almost to the end of Jesus' life. The disciples have been with Jesus for almost three years. Jesus has just explained to them. Jesus has just said to them, I'm going to die and go away. I'm about to die on the cross. And as soon as Jesus finishes that statement, James and John come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us anything we ask. And Jesus is like, really? I mean, he's just said, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm about to go and die on the cross. And they come and say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us exactly what you want. So Jesus plays along. He says, okay, I'll do whatever you want. He says, by the way, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They said, oh, yeah, we can do that. We can do, we can drink the cup. And so Jesus said, you will drink the cup. But to sit at my father's right hand or left hand, that's for him to decide. That's not my decision. And then he goes into this observation. Look down at verse 42. I think it's verse 42. We'll pick up there. Or verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant uh, with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, interesting, the word become. See, serving is it's not something we're all, we are automatic. It is something we become. But he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And so let me just share with you a couple observations before, before I kind of deal with the issue of servanthood. Think about this. These guys have been with Jesus for three years. Three years. They'd been walking with him. They'd been eating with him. I mean, they'd been doing ministry together. I mean, they'd been doing life together for three years. And, and, and yet, as soon as Jesus said, I'm going to die, 
These two guys are worrying about what Jesus is going to do for them. And so let me share with you two observations. Observation number one. First of all, being an insider doesn't make you great, nor does it make you special. It just doesn't. I mean, James and John, they were in the inner circle. I mean, they were in the, they were in the little group. You know, I mean, they were in that small circle. I mean, there was only 12 of them. And one of them was the devil. So out of the, I mean, the two out of Jesus' 11 closest friends, the, the guys that were closest to, two of the closest people to him thought they were special. And so Jesus said, and what Jesus was saying is, just because you're an insider doesn't make you special. And sometimes at church, sometimes at church, we kind of think that, well, we're in the group. So we're special. Sometimes when you're a pastor or, or you're on staff or you're a leader, you say, well, I'm special. Have you ever, hey, have you ever been to one of the churches and you pull up in the, in the parking lot and right near the front door, there's a big sign that says pastor's parking only. Man, that just, I just, I, I promise that ticks me off. In fact, in my last church, we, we built a new little parking area. Somebody said, we need to put a sign there. It says, Pastor's Park. He says, no way. We're not special. The pastor needs to park in the back or up near the office. And so should the deacons and the Sunday school teachers and all of us who lead. We are to park in the back. So those who are not yet on the inside have a place to park when they come. But, but listen, you, we need to understand just because we're an insider doesn't make us special. These guys were inside and you said, you're not special. But there's a second observation. Not only do, does being an insider uh, not make you special, this is, this is more convicting. This is just bust my tail, I, I promise. And I bet it busts yours too. It's possible. Listen to this. It is possible to hang out with Jesus a long time and still be selfish and immature. It's possible to hang out with Jesus a long time and still be self-centered and want your own way, regardless of how it affects everybody else. I mean, that convicts me. And I, I think that should convict a lot of us because a lot of us, we've been with Jesus for a while. Uh, some of us have been with Jesus, you know, three years. Some of them for three months. Some of us for three decades or longer. It, but it's possible that we can be with Jesus a long time and still be so consumed with what we want. And it, we, we're, we're concerned about, well, man, it's about me. What are you, what is it? What is the church going to do for me? What is Jesus going to do for me? Are you going to do things that I want you to do? Man, it just convicts me and it bothers me that a lot of us, we've been with Jesus a long time. And we're still self-centered. James and John have been with Jesus. Been walking with him, talking with him, eating with him, dining with him, hanging with him, crying with him, laughing with him, joking with him, suffering with him, struggling. I mean, they've been doing life. They were still selfish and still immature 
And Jesus said, I'm fixing to go and die. And all they could think about was, hey, can we sit at your right hand, left hand? Can we be the most important people in your crowd? Selfish. And so it's possible. Listen, don't, don't think because you're an insider that you're special because we're not. Don't think that just because we've been hanging with Jesus for a while that it makes us mature because sometimes we're not. It's possible. It's possible to hang a long time and not and still be selfish and immature. And so what, so Jesus calls them all together and he has a little conversation. I mean, understand this. This is the cream of his crop. I mean, he'd been here, Jesus had been ministering for three years. He brought in, I mean, he sits down his best leaders. And these are the best he had. And he said, the Gentiles, the leaders of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. But that's not how it's going to be with you. He said, if you you want to be great, be a servant. You want to be first, then you, you need to become slave of all. Totally opposite of what we see in our culture. Totally opposite of what we think about in, in our culture. And so, in fact, let's go to, go to Luke chapter, um, I think it's Luke 22. It's the same, it's the, it's Luke's account of the same event. Luke, uh, Luke 22, I think it's verse 26. Let's see if I got that right. Luke 22, verse 26. Talking about, now, again, we're at the same context, but he says, but you're not to be like that. They talking about the, the Gentiles lording it over them, but you're not to be like that. Verse 26. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Now, now listen to this statement. Jesus, he's sitting around with the 12 and he says this. He says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Who is, who is greater? Now, the Sunday school answer is Jesus. Right? And Jesus is greater. I mean, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. They knew that Jesus was the greatest one among them. And the, but listen to what he says. But I am among you. I'm the greatest. Not Muhammad Ali. Remember Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. You know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You, you remember that? Anybody? Okay. Um. Speaking of Muhammad, I don't know if I told y'all. Do y'all remember what he said when he got on the airplane one time? Muhammad Ali, and he, I'm about to fall off. But he gets on the airplane, and the, the steward, this is when they called him stewardess way back when. And the stewardess said, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And uh, Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess looked at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. Buckle up. <laughs> you know, he thought he was the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. Jesus said, I'm the greatest. I, I, I'm the, who's the one? Is the, is the one greater the one at the table reclining? Or is the one greater the one who serves? And, and obviously they said, well, you, sure. You're the greatest. And Jesus said, okay. I'm here as a servant. I'm here as a servant. I'm, one, I'm among you as one who serves. 
And we've all been to those. You, we've all been in that environment where there is, there is the people who serve and there are the, the people who get served. I don't know what the best way, you know. The, I don't know if you've ever been to the table or you've been, you'd have probably been in both places. We were at a wedding last weekend, uh, over in Lago Vista and they had, there was a sit down meal afterwards. And man, you know, it was obvious, man, there was the, there was the, the guests of honor. And then there were the people who served. It's a little awkward to me, but anyway, so you got these honored guests and you got these servants. And Jesus said, when you go, when you get, when you get around the table, there's honored guests and I'm the honored guest, but I'm here to serve. And just remember, it is enough for the student, that's you and me, to be like his teacher. It is enough for the servant, that's you and me, to be like the master, to be like Jesus. So if you and I are going to be, if we're going to become a servant, we need to kind of, there's a couple things that that need to happen in our life that, that we need to focus on. So let me just share with you three thoughts. If we're going to have a changed mindset about being a servant, there are, there are three thoughts uh, that, I, that I think we need to know. First of all, we need, we need a renewed sense of purpose. We need a renewed sense of purpose. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, you know the passage. I don't even know why we're going there. We all know it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, or this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We, we all know that part, right? We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. But, look, but read on. Look at verse, verse 10. You see, it all goes together. For we are saved, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sure, we're saved by grace. Sure, we're saved through faith. But we're saved to bear fruit. We're saved to do good works. We're saved to serve. We're created new in Christ Jesus to serve other people and to do good things. I mean, serving others and doing good works, man, that's not the foundation of our salvation. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you're saved by works, but you're saved for works. Don't think that, you know, I just need to believe in Jesus and everything's good. Well, you need to believe in Jesus and everything is good. But if you believe in Jesus and everything's good, you're going to do something to serve him. You're going, you know, they're just, they're connected. I mean, they're, they're very connected. Do you remember, remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 7? I think it's going to come up on the screen, but Matthew 7 Man, you want to talk about something else that convicts me? Listen to this. Watch out. Verse 15, Matthew said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Listen to this. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And so, here's, this kind of bothers me. That there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have 
opened their heart to Christ over the years. And they say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I've given my life to Christ. But when you look at their life, there's not any fruit. They don't serve people. They don't share their faith. They're not engaged in the ministry of the gospel inside the church. They're not engaged in the ministry of the gospel outside the church. They spend their whole, and they, you know, there's just thousands of believers that think that when you give your life to Christ, you just try to do, you just try to be good. In fact, they just say, well, you know, I just, I've given my life to Christ. I'm not going to be bad. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to do this, this, and this. And they think, okay. But, but no, we're created to do good works. We're created to serve people. We're created to serve the Lord Jesus in all areas of our life. Inside the church, outside the church, at home, abroad, wherever. So, so we need a renewed sense of purpose. But secondly, we also need a renewed sense of passion. Uh, there needs to be a new passion in our life. Listen, when Jesus comes into our life, uh, he, he changes us. Over in uh, Titus chapter 2, um, verse 14, listen to, to how uh, Paul puts it there. Titus 2. Verse 14 says it this way. It says, Jesus Christ, into verse 13, who gave himself for us to redeem us, similar to the word ransom, from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, if you have the King James Version, it uses the term zealous. Zealous. Uh, the, the word in the original language in the Greek is zealous. Zealous, I think is how it says. I know you didn't know what that Greek word was, but it means to have passion. It means to have zeal. It means to have some energy. It means to, to be excited about serving. It means to be excited about doing good. Now in the church, we, we know, you and I, we know that we know people need to serve. We know that we need to serve in the preschool so we have a great preschool ministry. We know that, that we need people to serve as, as uh, in the hospitality to, to make coffee or to greet people at the door. We know that we need people to serve in the children's ministry. We know that we need people to serve in the senior adult ministry to help make sure things happen. We know there are people, people need to go to the hospital and love on the people in the hospital. We know that people need to love on the people that are homebound. We know that people need to be served. It's just sometimes we just, we know somebody needs to do it. We just want somebody else to do it. We know it needs to be done. It's kind of like, here am I, Lord, send him, right? You know, it's like the mission. I read this story about a lo- two little boys, two little brothers went to the dentist. Two, not, not two little brothers, but two brothers went to the dentist and they come running in and they said, we need to see the dentist. It's, we got, it's an emergency. And, and they let him in to see the dentist. And, and the boy says, doctor, we, we need you to pull a tooth. And we're, we're really in a, I, I just need you to pull this tooth. I'm in, I'm in a hurry. No laughing gas, no Novocaine. And the doctor says, my son, you're very brave. He says, uh, where's the tooth? And he looked at his little brother and said, Albert, show him your tooth. <laughs> We're all for pain and, 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 and suffering and difficulty if it's for somebody else. But a lot of times if it's for us, we're not so much for it. And yet Jesus 
Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to suffer. Jesus came to endure so that others could be blessed. And God expects you and me sometimes, a lot of times, to endure hardship so that others can be blessed. God expects us to serve. He expects us to be mature enough to do things for others at the expense of ourselves. Now, that's not what culture teaches. That's not what society says. I mean, you, you go to uh, McDonald's, you have it your way. Right? I mean, culture says, hey, have it your way. You deserve this, all this, you, you know, all this stuff. I guess it's Burger King to have it your way. McDonald's says you deserve a break, right? Jesus said you deserve to serve. It's enough for me and it's enough for you to be like the master. It's enough to be like Jesus. He was selfless. He was a servant. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about getting his way, having everything the way he wanted it. It was about serving others. We need a renewed sense of passion. We need a renewed sense of purpose. And then also we need a a renewed perspective, if you will, a renewed perspective. Howard Hendricks, uh, author, um, seminary professor, uh, made this statement a few years ago. He said, when a person does not have an eternal perspective, he is more concerned about what people do for him than what he does for Christ. When a person does not have an eternal perspective, he is more concerned with what people do for him than what he does for Christ. That hurts me. That hurts me. Because a lot of times we think about, well, what's in it for me? Why not? What are, you, what are you going to do for me? What are you providing for me? Right? I mean, so often we, we're, we're insiders. We know Jesus and yet we come to church or, 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 or we, we, it's about what, what are you going to do for me? When Jesus said, no, that's not what it should be about. Jesus said it should be about what are you going to do for the kingdom? So we need, a re- we need a renewed perspective. We need to think eternally. We need to think about what's going uh, to... You know, we talked about this a couple months ago. You know, we did the whole series on the second coming and how one day we're going to stand before God and, you know, all this stuff's going to happen. And, and we, but a couple months ago, we talked about 2 Corinthians 5.10 where it says that all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account of ourselves to God. And we need to think about... Are we living for him or, or am I living for me? Am I serving him or do we expect him and his to serve me? We need a new perspective. Now, the, the thing of it is when it comes to serving... There's just, people have obstacles. I mean, I, I, you know, as a pastor, and if you've, been a, if you've been on the nominating committee or if you're a, a leader, you, you've heard some of these. Or if you're on, you know, you know, people say different things. I, I've heard people, people have told me over the years, well, you know, pastor, I'm, I'm too busy to, to serve in this arena or 
too busy to serve in that arena. Um, Ephesians 5.15 says that we need to make the most of every... It says, says we shouldn't live as unwise, but as wise. If you have the King James, it says we shouldn't live as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time or making the most of every opportunity. We're, y'all, none of us are too busy to serve God. We're not. We're not too busy to serve God. Now, we might be too busy. But, I mean, we've got enough time to do everything God wants us to do. I mean, exactly, if God wants me to do something or if God wants you to do something for the kingdom of God, we've got enough time. We just have to carve out what's not God's plan and, and, and move it out of the way. And we need to, but, but, but people have used that over the years. You know, people have, I've seen people that are, they're so busy in life, they're juggling so many things that they can't use their gifts for the glory of God. I mean, I, I've seen, and you've seen this. I mean, there's some people that are very gifted and they, and they use those gifts out in the, uh, somewhere out in the secular world, but not for the kingdom of God. And they're so busy that they can't use the gifts God's given them for His glory. Because they're too busy. Man, don't, don't be too busy for God. Don't be so busy you can't use the gifts God's given you to the fullest advantage. I'll tell you this story. I think it'll make, maybe it'll make sense. I want to tell you the story anyway. Uh, we were moving this week and we had to move out. You know, if you've ever rented a house, you know, you pay a deposit and you rent. And then when it's over, you clean the house and you move on. And, well, we were cleaning out. We had to be out Wednesday. And so uh, the Thursday before we had to move out, we had some people coming. They're, they're working on the house because some people bought the house. And there's a gas furnace or a cooktop stove and it's got this big vent pipe that goes out to the outside well they're working on this thing this was thursday a week ago and so well over the weekend we can't find our cat now the cat's outside cat but we couldn't i mean we didn't see it for like three or four days and after about three or four days elisa says mike i I hear the cat in the house like and i went there i said baby the cat is not in this house i've been to every room i've looked in every closet i've been everywhere we get ready to move out it's Wednesday morning. We've got to be out by midnight, clean and everything. Well, Tuesday night, you, you know, if a cat's shut in a room, you can start smelling something after a few days. And, uh, you get the picture. You know, cats do business. Well, so Tuesday night, Elise says, I can smell that. Well, Wednesday morning, about 10 o'clock, she says, Mike, I hear the cat. And we get under the stove, and you can hear the cat. And there's this big pipe that goes down under the stove, and it goes out under the foundation, and it pops up out here, and there's a little cover. Well, that cover had got knocked off, and the cat got in that vent pipe. And for about four or five days, it had been hanging out in that pipe. And so I tear that pipe up, and you know, we're calling, kitty, here, kitty, kitty. Of course, I'm mad as a hornet because I'm thinking, i got to be out here tonight. What am I going to do? So the cat comes crawling out, just comes climbing out. And so I spend a couple of hours trying to, trying to figure out how to get this cat smell out of this vent pipe. And you know, you, you know how that works if you've ever had a cat. And so we, I mean, we, 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 I got my neighbor to come over. We blew a fishing line through there with a tissue and we get a rope and we put Clorox on this rag and we're going back and forth and back. I mean, we're just doing all this stuff. Okay. The cats run off 
And so we get it all clean and we get everything loaded up. It's about eight o'clock. I dumped that. I came down to the funeral home and I went back and, and we're driving away. Well, here comes the cat just parading up there, you know, just, well, so I called my neighbor. I said, uh, do you have a cage? Let's put a cat in. He said, yeah. So he brings it over and the cat takes off. Well, we catch the cat and we put it in the cage. We sit in the back of the truck. We back out the driveway and drive to the storage. A mile, mile and a half away. I'm unloading some stuff and Elisa says, Mike, the cat has escaped. <laughs> I am not making this up. I promise under God, both gates on that cage are shut and the cat is gone. And I'm thinking four days in a vent pipe and you couldn't get out. And I put you in this cage in four minutes, you're free. And so I'm thinking, why couldn't that cat, if if it's Houdini, why couldn't it get out of the vent pipe before it messed up the house? Now, I don't know how that relates to this other than... If a cat has the gift of escape, it ought to use it at the optimal time, right? If you have some gifts that God's given you, you ought to use them for the optimal purpose. You ought to have an eternal perspective. I mean, if, if, if you've got the gift of, of teaching, teach secular, yeah, but use that gift for the kingdom. I mean, whatever gift, listen, whatever gifts God gives, use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. Don't be too busy. Don't be too busy. Uh, Some people are just too busy. Uh, Other people say, well, you know, I'm just not qualified. I mean, have you heard that? I'm I'm not qualified. I've left that church, so I can say this. We had this dear sweet lady. She'd been saved about 10 years. She was a school teacher, and she always said, well, you know, I just, I don't know enough to teach. If you've been saved 10 years, you ought to know enough to teach children about Jesus, if you're saved. So, so here's the thing. Don't, don't say, well, you know, I, I'm not qualified. No, no. Listen, the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All things means all things. If God's calling you to teach, by all means, you ought to teach. If God's calling you to greet, by all means, you ought to greet. If God's calling you to go out and serve in the community and show the love of Jesus, don't say I'm not qualified. Because you can do everything. God's gifted us to do exactly what he called us to do. We're God's workmanship in Christ Jesus created to do good works. Created to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God made you, perfectly shaped you to do exactly what he's asking you to do. You're qualified. God doesn't call the qualified, the old saying goes. He, he qualifies the call. So don't, don't say I'm, I'm not qualified. And some people said, um, well, I'm too old. Some of you have used that. You know, I'm too old to work in a nursery. And I, my, you know, I had people say, well, my kids are already grown. That's why you ought to serve in the preschool. If your kids are already grown, your preschoolers aren't going to get sick where you have to stay home. Well, I'm, I'm too old to work in the 
preschool or the children to student ministry because, you know, Pastor Mike, man, you know how people are today. They don't discipline. You know, the things just aren't the same. That's why we need you. You need to pour your wisdom and your insight into the next generation. No, don't say I'm too old. Is there, have you seen a verse in the Bible? Just says, I'm retired. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I haven't. Moses was 80 when he got started. Caleb was 85 when he took the mountain. Noah built for a hundred and something years. Why do we think, well, I, I'm retired? No. Man, serve the Lord while you can. Man, if you're retired, you got more time to serve him than, than, than other folks do. Just think about, think about eternity. Think about eternity because one day you're going to stand before him. Um, in John 12, 26, I got to wrap up. Jesus said this. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be, or my servant also will be. My father, listen to this statement. This is Jesus. Jesus says, my father will honor the one who serves me. My father will honor the one who serves me. What a... What a contrast. We live in a world where everybody wants to be honored and few people want to serve. But Jesus says, if you serve me, then my Father, who is the God of the universe and the creator and sustainer of everything, he will honor you. We can be honored here by those who serve us or we can serve others and be honored when we stand in the presence of the majesty on high. We get to decide. If you're going to be a servant, you got to, we got to renew our passion. We got to renew our purpose, but we got to renew our perspective. Imagine, imagine what it'd be like to stand in the presence of God one day and to have him look at you or you or me. But imagine what it would be like to have the God of heaven look into our eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus came to set us free. But he came to set us free so we could serve him till he comes. So I want to ask you this morning, just for just a moment, what can you do? What can you do this week to serve people outside of our church in the name of Jesus? What could you do
Not to your Sunday school class. Not for your preacher. Not for your friend. Not for... No. What can you do outside of church to serve people in the name of Jesus? What what is one thing you can do? Don't say I'm too busy. Don't say I'm too old. Don't say, well, I'm not qualified. Because we're not too old. God can use us. We're, we're, we're not unqualified. God can use us. We're not too busy. God's, God gives us time. So what, what one thing can you do for somebody outside the church this week? Go love on your neighbor. Go serve at the food bank. What can you do outside the walls of the church? Secondly, we can't, preachers can never only give you one assignment. Uh, what could you do to serve somebody inside the body of Christ? What could you do to serve somebody in the body of Christ? It's enough for the servant to be like his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher. Shall we pray? Father, many of us here, in fact, most of us here, have given our life to Jesus. Most of us have been made into a saint because you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so most of us here this morning, Father, we're born again. We're saved. We're saints. And we're in the process of becoming a servant. And God, my prayer is for those of us who are believers, that this week we would go out and we would serve. Lord, we would serve somebody else. Somebody inside the church, absolutely. Uh, Maybe in the preschool, maybe in the children's ministry, maybe with the senior adults, maybe uh, working in the library. But we would serve inside the church. But also, God, that we would look for for where you want us to go outside of our church to serve people in the name of Jesus. And then, God, there are some here that perhaps they've never given their life to Christ. And and they can't be like Jesus because they've not yet surrendered their life to Jesus. And, God, my hope and my prayer for them is that they would... Commit this morning to give their life to Christ. And so, Father, I pray in these next few minutes that you'll have your will and your way in every person's heart and every person's life. And we'll give you the honor and the glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.